When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. It's time to get inside the Giants' home. Let's go, let's go, let's go. On Giants.com. I like it, I like it, I like it. And the Giants mobile app. Give me some juice. Part of the Giants podcast network. Let's roll. Welcome to the Giants Huddle Podcast, brought to you by Citizens, the official bank of the New York Giants. John Schmuck with you, getting ready for the Giants and 49ers on Thursday Night Football. This is our usual uh, day-before-the-game podcast. We're going to have Bob Popple with head coach of the Giants, Brian Dable. Lance Meadow breaks everything down in terms of the 49ers with Cam Inman. He covers the 49ers for the San Jose Mercury News. And then we're going to lead off with my conversation with Giants rookie wide receiver Jalen Hyatt. We had a good talk, a fun chat. He had those two big deep balls that kind of got the offense going against the Cardinals in that historic comeback win for the Giants in week two to get their record to one and one. Here's my conversation with Jalen. Now we're joined by Giants rookie wide receiver Jalen Hyatt. And Jalen, I guess I'll start there. Do you still feel like a rookie two games into your NFL career? I'm sure you've seen and learned a lot so far. Yeah, you know, I definitely sometimes feel uh, like a rookie because this is my first, uh, like, West Coast trip for me. Um, not only that, first, you know, turnaround to, you know, a quick game on Thursday. So I'm still learning, learning the, you know, the vibe around here, you know, just leaning, leaning, leaning on the, you know, leaders in here. But everything been smooth so far. We are recording this in Tempe a day after the Giants had the historic comeback against the Cardinals. What was it like experiencing that firsthand in the second half? Yeah, I mean, I think it just shows about our passion. Um, and it starts with the leaders in that room, you know, DJ, uh, just everybody who, who contribute, um, you know, had a big part in that game. And, you know, we all just trusted in leaning on DJ and leaning on uh, Coach Calf and uh, they bought, you know, called the plays and we just went out and executed in the second half. What was the message that Coach Dable gave you guys at halftime? He used the word stern, and I was wondering what it was like from a player perspective. Um, I, to be honest, uh, I, I really think we just clicked in that second half. And, you know, coaches can say anything, you know, as far as have, have a halftime speech, but, man, we just clicked in that second half. I felt like time we went out there, you know, we had a different juice, and it's like we forgot that we were down. Um, and I think that was the difference for us. Uh, we started believing in ourselves, and, um, you know, when we did that, we, can, we, we executed. Did you find that coming out of the locker room at halftime? There was a change in attitude in terms of how the team approached the game in the second half? Yeah, definitely, but definitely uh, attitude. And not only that, I think the energy was there, too. Uh, I mean, we were down, and we came, you know, when we came back out the first uh, after the second half, I mean, we were ready to go. Um, we wanted the ball, uh, and we wanted to score the time we got the ball. And, uh, you know, I give it to DJ for trusting me and, you know, throwing that ball, and we executed was there a concerted effort made to get the ball down the field a little bit more? Is that something you guys talked about at the half to try to make some more big plays? You guys had uh, eight plays of 15 yards or more. All of them came in the second half of that game. Yeah, I think, um, you know, one of our things that we were, were focused on, you know, in that halftime was we need more explosive plays. Uh, we, we weren't getting the ball downfield. Um, you know, the running game was kind of stuck. We couldn't get anything going. So uh, to open those, you got to throw the, you know, explosive plays. You got to get them down. And, uh, you know, when we did that, that's when everything started flowing for us. So um, just credit to, you know, what 
we did at halftime. Take us through those two plays you had. You had the 59-yarder to start, and it kind of sparked everything. And then you had the 30-yarder the a little bit later on the post corner. Take us through those two plays and what you saw and how you got it done. Yeah, um, you know, we had it in the game plan uh, just leading up to the game. Uh, and only that, we didn't know when we were going to throw it, you know, uh, you know, uh, call it. And um, we knew in the second half, we were like, all right, we got to get something going. And um, I knew DJ was going to throw it. And I, at that point in my head, I'm just thinking, okay, I need to make some plays, you know, and just to get things going, just to get the spark going because one explosive play can change the whole momentum of the game. And I think once we did that, the whole offense started executing, and that's when we got our confidence. And once we had our confidence, we were, we were rolling. Was there a sense that that play did kind of spark everyone on the bench? Um, I think it did. I think it did. Just from a player's perspective, uh, just uh, I think right after that play, we just started connecting, and the whole offense started connecting, just like how we did in training camp. So, um, like you know, we we had a bad start to the season as far as struggling on offense, but I think with the what we did this game, um, just to come back and how we believed in ourselves, I think that changed the whole outcome of everything. So, just proud of the team, proud of you know the leaders in that room, proud of the offense. Yeah, so let's let's look ahead a little bit now, and you talk about making some of those big plays, Jalen. How much credit goes to the offensive line? Because they have to hold up for you to run that post corner, right? That, that, that is not a three-step drop. That is not a quick route. They got a lot of heat in week one. How good were they in week two? Yeah, I mean, just it, I, I credited them, all of them. Um, and not only that, one of my best friends on there, uh, John Michael, you know, rookie, rookie. I'm proud of what he has done just being a center, proud of what he has uh, done in training camp and lead on to what, what he's doing in his career. But um, just proud of proud of everybody that, you know, what they did on O-line and how did they execute it. So we just got to keep going. I think that game is, you know, a spark for us. And now I think we kind of get a momentum. So, uh, you know, next game, and we just need more games and just to get more comfortable out there and uh, just do what we know we can do. It is a different matchup, different opponent, but how much of this can you carry over to, to Thursday night on a short week in San Francisco? Yeah. You know, um, I think it just goes back to, you know, just – relying on us on us and relying that we know what we can do um you know we have a we have a good team we have a great offense we have a great offensive scheme we have a great quarterback um and and when you have all those factors we can be as, as good as we want to be and we just got to believe in ourselves I think that's that's what we did in that second half and we went out there and believe, you know believe in ourselves and everything started working for us now we're talking Monday. I know you haven't done a ton of work on the 49ers yet, but what is it about their defense that makes them challenging? Yeah, um, um, you know, defense that gets after the ball, uh, runs sideline to sideline. Uh, they have a great D-line uh, D pressure, um, great linebackers. Uh, they have a long, um, speedy sec secondary, uh, guys that's tall, big, uh, rangy. So um, for us, I think we just need to just go back to the basics and do what we know we can do, you know, play fast with them, um, you know, don't make so many mistakes on us, you know, and just go out there and play and play Giants football that we know how to play. And I think we do that and, um, you know, we, we, we do everything we need to do as far as game planning and execute on that. And I think we, we'll be as good as we want to be and be in the right position we need to be. A couple questions about you before we say goodbye. How, what do you think about the way they're using and the role they've kind of developed for you? You ran 20% of the snaps in, in week two against the Cardinals. Yeah, um, you know, Dave's told me uh, this is, time I got drafted he told me he was always gonna you know lead me up into into the game plan lead me up into the season it's a long season and you know he told me about how you know rookies just have a long year you know you go from combine to pro day to boom you're in training camp and you know you're ready to go you know not really a season off um, or off season really but um, you know I, I believe in what Dave's is doing I believe in his game plan for me I believe in everything that he has going for me personally um, he's a great coach man I, I love him I respect him and uh, I feel like we're we're just starting we're just starting now you know and the future's what we're ahead for 
for every rookie, there's a lot to learn. What's your comfort level in the offense and just being able to execute everything the coaching staff is asking of you? Yeah, it's getting there. It's definitely getting there. Um, uh, you know, I spent a lot, of, a lot of time in training camp, just trying to get it down with DJ and see what he likes. Come, um, you know, we have a we have a big, big playbook. So, uh, you know, at first it was it was it was a lot, but um, I'm just starting to get the you know role for it because I play all three positions. I'm moving around a lot, so um, I'm very comfortable with it. Though, very comfortable, and DJ made it easier for me. Um, you know, we used to work in the off season, uh, even when everybody was off. You know, he, he you know he stayed up here and we were working out. So, you know, just credit to him, credit to you know the coaches making it easier for me for the game. Plan, but I feel very comfortable. Was there a moment in the summer? Obviously, you had a ton of experience in college. You showed you could run by people, you could make big plays. Was there a moment, either maybe in the scrimmage or a preseason game or even in a practice, where you're like, oh, you know what? I can run by NFL players too. I can do this at a high level. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me was uh, I just believe in myself. I, you know, my sophomore year in college, um, didn't believe in myself, wasn't confident. And, you know, that changed everything for me. But, um, once the confidence came for my junior year and I, you know, believed in myself, um, for me, just keeping that same mentality and just trying to work for that and you know, just get better every day. You know, that's the biggest thing to lean on the leaders. Right, last two, what have you learned the most? Where have you made the biggest jump since you arrived here with the Giants and gotten better? Yeah, I think for me it was definitely route running. Um, uh, you know, getting all press coverage, you know, things I didn't see in college a lot, um, just not used to. And, uh, you know, we obviously we go against wing defense 24 uh, 7 training camp, and, you know, he loves to blitz. So it's nothing but man. And not only that, we have great corners, great rookie corners. Physical ones, too, right? Physical, physical long that's going to get after it. Um, and, and we're all brothers, you know, they help me and I help them to get better. So uh, just a lot, of, you know, I just credit this team. I think we're heading in the right direction and just can't wait to see what the future holds for us. Yeah, quick follow-up on that. I love the way they use you on that one motion play against Arizona. They kind of look like they took something out of what, the, what Miami did in week number one where they motioned you out to the side, gave you a little bit of a running start. Are you enjoying some of the creative ways Mike Kafka is figuring out a way to maybe put you in motion to get you off some of those press situations? Yeah, that just goes, you know, the credit to Coach Kafka and Coach Davis. Just what they can just draw a level. I mean, they're just smart. Uh, man, I, I just love them. Um, I, I love them through the draft process. You know, I wanted the Giants to come pick me up, and everything's working. You know, dream come true for me. So just to be in this offense and still learning at the same time, but being with masterminds like them, man, it makes it easier for me. You know, just seeing all the creative plays that they can draw up, man, it's just it's fun. It's fun to be here. All right, final one. Give me one or two nuggets that some of these vet wide receivers on the roster have really given you that you think have helped you along as a rookie. Yeah, just uh, just believing in myself, um, just you know, helping me with as far as confidence level and press, um, just giving me different different tools and different techniques to you know get off different uh, corners on how they play. Um, I think another one was just you know. I, I think it's slower. The game is a little slower uh, than how it was in college for me. So knowing that I have a little more time, you know, in routes sometimes. So I think that's the two biggest thing I learned so far from, you know, vets that we have in that room, Slay, Shep, um, Isaiah. You know, I look up with Paris, all of them, you know, and, and they're, they're great teachers and they help me. Appreciate it. Jalen, good stuff, man. Best of luck on Thursday against San Francisco. I appreciate you. Thank you. You're ready for a change. Payday comes early with citizens. So go to that retreat. New you moves to the country. Now you're raising goats and launching a lifestyle brand. Are you ready for all that life brings? That's Jalen Hyatt. Great stuff out of him. The Giants Huddle is brought to you by Citizens, the official bank of the Giants. From game day to every day, Citizens is made ready for Giants fans with insights, guidance, and solutions. Learn more at citizensbank.com. 
Com. All right, now let's get inside the San Francisco 49ers. Lance Meadow had a chance to talk with Cam Inman. He's been covering the Niners for a long time on the beat for the San Jose Mercury News. Quick turnaround heading into Thursday night football as the Niners and the Giants collide for the first time since 2020 and first time in the Bay Area since 2018. And to delve into San Francisco, what to expect from them, we're now joined by Cam Inman, who covers the Niners for the San Jose Mercury News. Cam, you got Lance Meadow here on Giants.com. Greatly appreciate the time. Hope all is well. How's everything on your end? Everything's great. You know, they've uh, we've been on the road back to back weeks, so now it's uh, it's time for the Niners' home opener after a really impressive win in Pittsburgh, and then Sunday's win in in LA wasn't as impressive, but the stands were all full of 49er fans, so it really felt like a 49er home game. So uh, Thursday night football in Levi's Stadium. Here we go. Absolutely. Well said. And let's start with Brock Purdy, because the big storyline coming into the season, Cam, of course, was the elbow injury he sustained against the Eagles. And everybody was wondering, would he get back in time? How would he look? The Steelers game, it didn't seem like he was hesitant at all through two touchdowns. This last game against the Rams, to your point, maybe they weren't as big in terms of the passing attack, but they certainly ran the ball effectively. What have been your big takeaways with respect to Brock Purdy and how he's looked and how he's commanded this offense thus far? It's funny. I, I go back to a word that Sam Darnold used to describe Brock Purdy. His first impression was the kid has poise and it really has proven the case week after week. I mean, obviously he has not lost a regular season game. This is going to be his eighth start. Uh, the only loss was in that uh, NFC championship to the Eagles when he had his elbow torn on the first uh, series, but he's come back and the arm strength has not been an issue from day one. The second he was back at training camp, he was airing out passes, and uh, he was overthrowing guys, and we're like, "What is going on?" He's, I mean, he's he's really testing it out. So it's kind. Of, so we bring you to Sunday's game in LA, and you know, Brock had a really good opener, and everybody's like, "Okay, great." You know, he threw for what, two twenty yards, two two first half touchdowns, um, and then against the Rams, the critique was that he he overthrew three guys deep that could have been touchdowns, right? And so the, the key word there, a lot of people focused in on, was overthrow. And I think today it dawned on me, no, the keyword should be three. The fact that he's taking multiple shots downfield in an offense that's known for a run, run-based run offense that can get, you know, short yard, short short throws and guys go yards after the catch like Debo and Ayuk and Kittle. But with Brock, it's kind of gone under the radar in the last, whatever, three, four months that this guy does air it out pretty deep. Um, he, he takes chances, in other words. He knows how to read a defense. And that's why he's kind of earned Shanahan's trust to use the whole playbook. Um, it's why the teammates love him, why he's a team captain already in his second year. So thoroughly impressed. Um, it, it has not been a flash in the pan thing is that I think everybody's curious to see, well, it's just, you know, he's just getting his feet wet. The, the guy has really good control of the NFL speed. And I think that that's what really comes into play. Well, and I think that's a great point, myself included. I had some of those questions because like anything else, Cam, it's a small sample size when a guy mm -hmm. performs as he did in the second half of the season. It was also a small sample size in terms of Christian McCaffrey working in this offense because they acquired him midseason. So now that he has had an entire offseason under his belt, I guess how much more can Kyle Shanahan tap into his skill set from what you've seen over these first two games? Yeah, and you know, McCaffrey, he's the dual threat wonder, but – He's been mostly used as a running back um, these first two games. He didn't come out of the game against the Rams, which was a little ridiculous when you have a short week coming ahead of you. Um, but he, I mean, he's the NFL rushing leader right now. And he, he has had one big run in each of the games. Uh, he just looks, he looks like the best running back they've had since Frank Gore, who was their all-time leading rusher. And they've not had 
a thousand yard rusher since Frank Gore left in 2014. Um, he's everything you want. He is the playmaker. And it's like, yeah, so Brock can dump it to him for, for short passes or use him out of the slot, which could be the case this week if Brandon Ayuk's shoulders bothering him. Um, and then you could use Mitchell Moore as a running, Elijah Mitchell Moore as a running back. But um, he really, McCaffrey understands the offense a lot better now, understands I got to wait one split second for that hole to open up and then I can dart through it. And he really has done that so well through two games so far. You brought up Brandon Ayuk nursing the shoulder injury. As we're recording this, he obviously did not take part in practice. But what do you think his chances are in terms of suiting up? And if he doesn't play, does a guy like Jawan Jennings become more of a lethal weapon within the offense? Well, let's, let's yeah. I mean, I don't want to speculate because it sounds like it's not a broken shoulder or it's not a broken collarbone or whatever. So my guess is he'll try to play through it um, because the Niners don't take any anything for granted. Every every game is just like vital to them. They've, they've learned that over the years. Um, so if he can, I mean, he played through the injury in LA. Um, but in terms of Juwan, Juwan Jennings is, um, a really big physical wide receiver who loves to stir it up with opponents. Um, he's he's almost as good for one personal foul against the opponent as he is for one big catch. Um, he's he's a delight um, as, as a guy, and on the field he's a dog, and it's really fun to watch. But I don't think he's the big weapon. Um, you have George Kittle, who is he's kind of off to a slow start in terms of catches, but he makes some key catches, and he makes. Um, he's obviously a great blocker too. And he just loves the game of football. He's kind of their spirit animal on offense, gets everybody going. Um, but Debo Samuel really kind of shifted back into that all, you know, multi-talented threat in LA. Um, and so it's kind of like you go to Kittle, you got a McCaffrey, uh, you got Debo and you're like, holy cow. I mean, maybe you don't really need Ayuk. Um, Ayuk can be, he was off to a great start. He was the NFL offensive player of the year, uh, player of the week in week one. Um, so he's off to a great start. It's a contract year kind of for him. So he's like the next one in line for an extension. Um, but they, that's the thing with this team. There are so many offensive weapons around and they've been in the system now long enough to understand the details and the landmarks they have to hit. And, um, and Brock Purdy knows that he can trust each and every one of those guys. With respect to the structure of this offense, Cam, I'm applying it more to the Giants. They're coming off a miraculous comeback against the Cardinals, mm -hmm. but they had a lot of missed tackles. James Conner was very effective on the ground. And I described this Niners offense as slippery and elusive, right? Because yardage after the catch is such a key statistic as you would hit on with guys like McCaffrey and Debo Samuel. From the Giants defensive perspective, how big of a tall order and a task is that in terms of the tackling that they need to hone in on when going up against this Niners offense? Well, I mean, that's it's why this offense has been known for the last what four years for their yards after the catch. Um, slippery and elusive is one way to say it. I would I would use different different words come to my mind. I mean, that's fine, but from watching this team, there's a lot of space. They, the the guys know how to get the ball in space, right? And then they take off, and then it's not so much that they're slippery and can slip out of tackles. They power through tackles, and it's not just them. They're getting huge blocks from all these other guys like Ayuk and Ray Ray McLeod sprung uh, Christian McCaffrey's 65-yard touchdown run in week one because they threw these um, just devastating blocks downfield. Uh, you have Trent Williams at left tackle that goes to the next level repeatedly, and Aaron Banks is a left guard. He's in his second full year as a starter next to him. Uh, the Niners are smart enough where they're just running behind those guys, and they don't necessarily need to be slippery and elusive because all of a sudden there's there's five yards to run, and then it's find the little hole, and then there you go.
I guess I was caught up with that Debo Samuel touchdown against the Rams cam. So that's yeah. why slippery and elusive came to mind. But yes, well, we you, have it, seen them mow over defenders as well. If you see, if you look at that play again, I mean, it's, it's a short pass. It's, it's a backward pass. So it's a lateral, but if you'll see it, George Kittle is out there blocking on the edge and he takes out one guy and that goes into another guy and another guy. So all Debo's got to do is sidestep three Rams that are already on the turf. And then he cuts back and the, he does the Debo things and just, uh, when Debo's running like this, I mean, that's what made him an all pro a couple of years ago um, and, and made him such a multidimensional threat. He, he, he has that hunger and uh, he's in shape. And so that's, that bodes well for the Niners. Not doesn't bode so well for the Giants defenders. We're talking with Cam Inman who covers the Niners for the San Jose Mercury news. Speaking of being in shape, let's flip the script to the defensive side of the ball because Nick Bosa had a contractual holdout. And I know mm -hmm. you've been on top of his snap counts. I was seeing how you <laughs> tweeted that out. And the fact yeah. that his numbers skyrocketed, Cam, in terms of yeah. what he put forth against the Rams, much different than what we saw against the Steelers. Now with the quick turnaround, what do you think the approach is in terms of how hard they'll work him on Thursday? I think Nick's going to want to be worked all the way to the max, honestly, because, you know, he only had 35 snaps in the opener and then he almost doubled that um, last game. The Niners were on the field a lot against the Rams and, and Bosa doesn't have a sack yet, but he is impacting um, the game. Um, the Niners had two interceptions last game and Bosa was kind of getting in there on the rush. I, I mean, it's obvious. Everybody looks at him. He's drawing double teams, but that's also why they got Javon Hargrave from the Eagles uh, to come up the middle and pressure and, um, on the other edge is Drake Jackson, who had three sacks in the opener. So the Bosa effect, well, it, it trickles down, right? But this is prime time. And Nick Bosa is getting paid $2 million a year on this new contract. And that means, okay, this is your time to shine. And I go back to 2019 and his rookie year is probably like a week four Monday night football game, I think, against the Browns. And he destroyed Baker Mayfield and just had such a ball. I kind of get the sense that Bosa, like, he's not expressing any – Oh, I'm get got to get back in shape. This is really rough. It was like after the game, he's like, "Yeah, actually, I feel pretty good. I needed all this. I need more reps." Um, and as that game wore on in LA, he got better. So um, he's a physical specimen, and he's getting paid like one, obviously. But um, he he is a technician also that knows what to do. So here's the deal, deal with Bosa and Drake Jackson this week is, and all the Niners' defense and all is they got to watch Daniel Jones on the zone reads because. Mobile yep. quarterbacks have been an issue with this defense for years. And Nick will get sucked in to go after that pass rush. And if Jones can deke him and get around him, uh, the Niners better have somebody to, to back, Bosa, back Bosa up because um, it, it's the, you know, the Russell Wilsons, Lamar Jacksons, those guys in the past years, they've just proved elusive. It's not necessarily that they're running quarterbacks. They just can sense when they have an escape hatch. It's interesting you brought up Daniel Jones's running ability, Cam, because now a new part of the equation mm -hmm. is, though, Saquon Barkley's hurt, and right. he's not going to play. And you know Matt Breida from being in San Francisco, and they have some other younger backs. How much, though, do you think that changes San Francisco's approach where you said, hey, in past, they've had problems with these elusive quarterbacks, but now you're removing somebody else who's very dangerous from the backfield? Yeah, and, and they know Brita's speed, right? Um, it's, this is going to be the Matt Brita revenge game at Levi's Stadium. <laughs> I'm not so sure about that. I mean, the Niners have such a – they have all pros at every level of the defense, right? So, yes, they have not seen a, a mobile quarterback like Daniel Jones necessarily yet after going Matt Stafford and and, uh, and Kenny Pickett. But um, look at the linebacker core. You got Fred Warner who's the best linebacker in the league, and Dre Greenlaw is this um, – Dre Greenlaw is kind of a he's, – he's a – I don't know. He's a missile because he just goes after guys, he, full speed. It's kind of 
there's a lot of uh, comparisons from past years, like Willis and Bowman, who are the Niners' great linebacker tandem. So they're going to be ball hunting um, really well. And then you got great safeties back there. Um, Talano Hufanga was an all pro last year. Um, and then Sean Gibson's the vet. So th they're going to be ready for them. Um, and, and they're going to, I mean, it's a short week. You're not going to really be practicing against a, a dual threat guy like um, had they kept Trey Lance around to be a play scout team quarterback. But um, I think that's going to be drilled into them this week, especially just, you know, knowing what the Giants have to do to replace Saquon. You brought up Drake Jackson earlier in the conversation, and I look at him, Cam, as an X factor for the Niners. He had that great game against the Steelers with three sacks, maybe a little bit quieter against the Rams, but this is a second-round pick from 2022. We talk about Bosa, Hargrave, and we throw in Eric Armstead, but Drake Jackson, to me, becomes more of the overlooked item. If he does live up to expectations, how much more dangerous does that make this Niners defensive front? And, you know, he doesn't have to do the full-time work because he's splitting reps with yeah. Cleveland Farrell, who was the Raiders' first-round bust. Um, and Cleveland Farrell actually is the one that starts on base downs and Drake will come in on pass situations. So um, both of those guys get opportunities. And, and Farrell looked really good through preseason and camp. And Drake was dealing with a hamstring. So um, Drake Jackson's breakout, you know, week one performance, you know, said, oh, wow, okay, this guy could be for real. Um I'm not totally convinced yet, but I know that having the, both of those guys there um, and knowing the impact that everybody else down the line, it's going to help them look a lot better than they probably really are. Speaking of some of the changes on the defensive side of the ball, it seems as if nickelback Isaiah Oliver has jumped off the page, who they brought over from the Atlanta Falcons. He had an interception on Sunday. and Clearly, when you have the benefit of all those weapons up front, it makes the job of the secondary a little bit easier. But what has jumped out to you about the immediate impact that Oliver has made on the back end? So it, during training camp, the Niners coaches kind of called it out and said, yeah, that's an open, open competition. It was like, wow, they just spent $3 million on this guy in free agency saying he was the best nickelback in free agency and he wasn't making enough plays in camp. And so far the season starts and they put Diamador Lenore, who is going to be one of their outside cornerbacks. They would use him at nickel um, and then shift him back outside on base looks. And um, which was fine. Lenore is a, an aggressive guy. He's got great instincts. He had an interception against the Rams. Um, but then Oliver really showed up against the Rams. Not only, I mean, right place, right time on the interception because it went right through the hands of the running back right into Isaiah Oliver. So I'm kind of like, all right. But what he also did, he made two really good tackles, one short of the sticks and another one on fourth down. And that's what they needed to see out of him. They needed to see some physicality out of a nickelback um, to come up and play, especially if you're going, lining up in the slot and there's a run coming at you. Um, so I think he won over that. Um, you know, from, from the Niners' secondary perspective, when they had, without using him at nickel, they would have Ambry Thomas on the outside and Lenore on the inside, Tarverius Warby on the other cornerback. And quarterbacks wised up really fast and went after Ambry Thomas, who was number 20. And um, he had a knee issue against the Rams, so he got dinged up a little bit. So he may not be playing, but um, if, if I'm Daniel Jones and I see number 20, that's that's my target because that worked against uh, the Niners the other two games. Um, and then Mooney Ward, Tarverius Ward, played with the Chiefs. He's the Niners' number one guy. Um, he plays tight coverage, but the problem against the Rams was they came out in zone and they gave the Rams so much space underneath. And that's why Puka Nakua was like getting 15 catches, but nothing was going over the top. And then in the second half, they said, all right, enough of this. We got to play man. They played tighter. They got a better pass rush. And that's kind of they shut down Stafford and made him uh, get some mistakes. Yeah, they had those two key takeaways that yeah. helped seal the game. I want to piggyback over your point about the pass rush because – 
the Giants, as I'm sure you're aware, they've had some mixed results in the first right. two games. It was not pretty against Dallas. It improved against Arizona. But, yeah. Cam, my argument is the Cardinals' defense, as you know from being in the division, is very different than what San Francisco has to offer. And you look at the Niners, five sacks, nine quarterback hits against the Steelers. Numbers dropped a little bit against the Rams, a sack and six quarterback hits. Did L.A. do anything in particular that maybe the Giants, you think, will look to duplicate to maybe alleviate some of the pressure that they don't want Daniel Jones to see. The only way they can duplicate it is if they um, if they clone uh, Matthew Stafford because he, the veteran savvy and the quick throws. Um, sure. he, he just it was it was all him. It's it's his knowledge. That's why the Niners tried to trade for him a few years ago, right before the Rams got him. Um, they the Niners committed a lot of money to their defensive front because in 2019 when they went to the Super Bowl, that was the engine of it, and so. Last year, even though Bosa won player of the year, not many sacks the rest of the line. And so that's where they got went out and spent a lot of money on Hargrave. They brought in Farrell to be with Drake Jackson. And then they're blitzing a little bit more. They have a new defensive coordinator in Steve Wilkes, um, formerly of the Carolina Panthers, right? And so I think he's feeling out what's best for this defense. And um, it, it could be a really good front. And I would expect them to do so as long as that, if Daniel Jones holds that ball more than three seconds, the Niners are going to be all over him. I want to piggyback over your point about the defensive coordinator because, you know, we forget D'Amico Ryans has been a staple on the Niners staff. He gets the Houston job. And more often than not, I think new defensive coordinators can come in and they don't want to mess up what works so effectively. But at the same time, you can't blame them if they want to put their own stamp right on that side of the ball. How has Steve Wilkes, in your mind, walked that fine line where, hey, it wasn't broken, so I really don't have much to fix. But at the same time, we're going to do things a little bit differently than D'Amico Ryans did. I think the job description was we don't want you to do anything differently than D'Amico. We don't want <laughs> you to do anything different than Robert Sala because, I mean, the Niners' defense was continued to ascend under both of those guys. What is different that is that Steve Wilkes calls the game from upstairs, and he's up in the coach's booth getting hot dogs in the press box lounge with us. Um, downstairs, uh, you have a lot of trusted assistants, um, but not just that. You have these veteran guys on defense now that know what to do to kind of rally everybody. So it's not like, you know, D'Amico would – you know, gosh, there was one game about a year ago in Atlanta where they were struggling. Most of their starters were injured and not even suited up. And so D'Amico had to huddle everybody up. Wilkes can't do that, obviously. He's upstairs. But you have Fred Warner, who's the hype man of the whole team. And Fred can kind of take control. Um, and, and Wilkes, you know, we were expecting him to blitz maybe a little bit more. Um, he's mixed up a couple different looks of blitzes that help. I mean, Fred Warner got the only sack last game on Stafford because he came up the middle. Very timely one, I think, on third down to get him going. Um, and so, and then a couple uh, defensive back blitzes too. So I think that's a little extra element. But at the same time, they're not paying all those guys up front that to, that they need help from blitzers. They need to get those with the front four. We're talking with Cam Amon, who covers the Niners for the San Jose Mercury News. Cam, before I let you go, we got to talk about the kicking situation. It wouldn't be complete yeah. this conversation, considering the Niners are now turning to a rookie. And Jake Moody, the third-round pick out of Michigan, so far, so good. Perfect on field goals, perfect on extra points. I'm not saying you're a kicking expert, but from your optics, from your lens, how has he held up and how has he handled some of these key moments? It's it's really, I mean, I don't think I've ever written this much about kickers. Or I mean, it's, it's fascinating <laughs> because I mean, here's the deal. So he gets drafted in the third round out of Michigan. And the, the last time the 49ers won a Super Bowl was in 1994 season, and they did so with a rookie kicker who was also a third-round pick. So you go, oh, look at that symmetry. Maybe this pays off. And Moody's banging these kicks all through training camp and looking the part. 
And then about going into the preseason finale, he has a leg issue and he's got a right quadricep strainer. Like, uh oh, well, that's not good. The, the kids already got dead leg before the season started. So they shut him down for about a week and a half, um, brought in an extra guy to see how that would work. But then he goes to Pittsburgh, which is not the easiest place to kick. He makes all three of his field goals, makes all of his extra points. Then he goes down to L.A. He makes all three of his field goals, all of his extra points. He's the NFL's second leading scorer. Um, but along the way, Shanahan entrusted him to try a 57-yard field goal um, in, against the Rams, and he nailed it. And you could just see how proud and relieved Shanahan was. Like, yes, this is the guy that we drafted and spent a third-round pick on instead of drafting a running back that we'll never use because we got to use it. Anyhow, that's another story. But they love Jake Moody. and um, But – Guess what? Now you're going into Levi Stadium. This is going to be um, – uh, the winds are always a little tricky there because there's two open ends of the stadium, and it kind of creates a swirling effect. So that's what Robbie Gold was so great at, was he knew exactly how to place the ball and let the wind take it in through the uprights. Um, Moody last, last kick there. Um, it was, I think, their, their second preseason game, and he kicked a walk-off winner. Um, but it didn't go through right down the middle. It's it's snaked through, and everyone's like, hmm. So – uh it's it's it, we'll see how it goes but i think the kid has handled pressure really well um but he's got a long season ahead of him he does indeed well it's just another element in play as the giants and the niners collide on thursday night football he's cam Inman who covers the team for the san jose mercury news cam can't thank you enough greatly appreciate the time and the insight enjoy thursday night football and i look forward to talking down the road all right likewise thanks so much you got it my pleasure you love turf you're good at it so you start a turf biz business grows your savings grow become the most celebrated name in turf are you ready for all that life brings we thank lance and cam giants fans love a winner it's why they love citizens named a 2022 best bank in the u.s by the banker as the official bank of the giants and sponsor of the huddle citizens is made ready for big fans of big blue learn more at citizensbank.com and now we go to the voice of the giants bob papa he's with the head coach of the giants brian dable the Giants with a big win on Sunday against the Arizona Cardinals, staying out here in Arizona in preparation for Thursday night. As always, joined by two-time Super Bowl champion Carl Banks and the head coach of the New York Giants, Brian Dable. Wild one uh, yesterday against Arizona. What was the message to your team at halftime, down 20 to nothing? Yeah, not the way we wanted to start uh, for the second week in a row. So it was time to man up and play better and coach better, uh, not make excuses focus on the things that we can control and go out there. You know, we were getting the ball in the, the first series and try to put one in and, um, you know, not let the game get away from us to, you know, stay two-dimensional, both run and pass on offense. And then, you know, when they drove down and scored and hit the two-point to move them to 28-7, to it was, again, it was the next play. They did a good job. They answered the bell. And then we started getting a few stops on defense, um, you know, and executed well that second half. Coach, you've been around sports and in- – the, the mental makeup of football players and coaches for a very long time. And I said this was a character win because human nature sometimes will make you doubt whether or not you can get back to where you were. And you spoke in your post game about the resiliency of your coaches and your players. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. You know, when you're building a team, you want to bring in the right kind of people, first and foremost, that have talents. Uh, and I just think that Selflessness promotes, promotes mental toughness, and selfishness promotes a mentally weak team. Um, and it's tough, you know, when you're down, what we were down, um, you know, and you can 
don't look too far you know behind you but you're you have that first game that you have uh, and you got to be able to, to really be able to focus and lock in um, and then go out there and play and then you know when you start getting some results usually that promotes a little bit more but it's when you're not getting the results when things aren't perfect for you uh, whether you're not playing as much as you want to play or you have a bad play um, you know it's easy to kind of put your head down and you know sometimes feel sorry for yourself and that's you know, we're not going to do that. Uh, we don't make excuses. We got to play better. We got to coach better. Um, you know, we had a good, good half of football, but a lot of work that needs to be done. Coach, when you look at the math, and I said this to Carl during the broadcast, once you got it to 28-14, you're like, wait, wait a second, there's a whole fourth quarter and there's four minutes left of the third. Was that sort of the feeling on the sideline? Like, there's a lot of game to be played here. Let's play this out. No question. Um, you know, odds are when you get a, a lead like that in the first half, the, the other team's going to win. But to, to to keep straining and fighting and really executing, and it, it's it's you, you always preach. Let's not worry about the scoreboard or the situation. Let's just focus on the next play. And you know, you punch it in a couple times and you get the ball back and you get a little bit of momentum. Um, you know, it really comes down to execution, doing the fundamentals and the basics right, and then all eleven people being on the same page. Uh, and I'd say. You know, for the play callers, they, they got to be able to stay in the moment, too. And, you know, it's, it's not the game's not away from you uh, and, and stay true to kind of what you do well um, and go out there and execute. And, you know, I thought collectively the coaching staff and players, you know, that's, you know, the complimentary football that that we need to play. You talk about your coaching staff and it's a game of adjustments. Sure. So what? You guys gave Arizona in the second half may may have looked the same, but the plays were different. You you were able to get some vertical balls sure. on the field, and which obviously opened up the box a little bit um, for the run game. But the mission stayed the same, but just the adjustments and being able to use some of those things. Right? Sure, yeah, and and again, Carl, you talk about those throughout the game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the first couple series, you let the guy see how the game's going, see how teams are playing. And then you start talking about a sideline right away. And again, it, it, it ultimately comes down to the, to the execution of the play. Um, but, you know, there's definitely certain things that we talked about in all three phases to, you know, put a little wrinkle here or, um, you know, give them a different look there and you know, maybe attack a little bit more vertically and on offense. But um, again, at the end of the day, you know, a couple big third down stops, get the ball back, drive down, execute. Um, you know, that's, that's what you want it to look like. Just late in the game, they get called for a couple of false starts. The Giants fans, and there were a lot of them in the building. Unbelievable. Certainly, uh, it was like a home game at that point. Unbelievable. Um, you could see the sea of blue there. Uh, you could feel them. Uh, you could feel them, you know, at the end of the game, like you said, where there was some false starts. And, you know, it was it was loud there. Uh, we appreciate their support so much. And, you know, after the game, there's, a you know, thousands of people waiting after the game when you're walking out to the buses and, uh, much respect to to our fan base. The Giants and San Francisco on a short week. Coach, uh, obviously this is a team that's had a lot of success the last couple of years, and they're off to a 2-0 start. What kind of challenges do they present to you defensively with the amount of weapons that they have on all three levels? Yeah, I'd say just the entire team. I think John Lynch and Coach Shanahan have done a fabulous job of instilling their fingerprint on this organization Coach Shannon has been successful for a long time as, as a coordinator and as a head coach, does a tremendous job with his football team. You know, there's no secret why they win. They have really good players. They have really good coaches, 
if players like you said on all three levels really of defense and, and, and the offense uh, from the back to the receivers to the tight end to the line to the defensive line to the middle linebacker to the secondary uh, this is a, a, a complete team um, and there's a reason why they've won for you know so many games over the past few years coming off of a short week in preparation obviously it's more about the mental aspect and sure. making sure that everyone knows their responsibilities for a game like this? No question. And, you know, we do we do work, as, as most teams, I would suspect, you know, in the offseason, knowing you have a short week during training camp on down days where you can get a head start on, on this Thursday night game. Uh, but it is a short week. There's not a lot of sleep uh, for the coaches. Uh, the players, like you said, it's really mental. you got to get them fresh as you can to, to play in a short week. And everybody plays them. So, you know, our focus is on the meetings, really dialing in, and then, you know, the, the walkthrough slash jog throughs, you got to treat them like practice, uh, you know, mentally um, because you're not getting as much physical work. But a uh, tremendous challenge uh, to prepare for a Thursday night game and uh, particularly against this football team. I know stopping the run is always very important. Obviously, McCaffrey's had two 100-yard games. They use Debo in the run game. Um, what makes their run game so challenging? Well, two things. One, they have really good players. And two, they have a really good uh, coach. Um, and he's, you know, he's really he's fantastic, really, in, in the run game and in the pass game. He sets things up that look the same. Um, the players execute well. They have, you know, all pro, pro players, seems like, at every position on that football team. So, uh, you know, we're going to have to do a good job um, of trying to, to stop that run. Uh, easier said than done. Uh, so it's what we're, we're working at. Do you treat Kittle almost like a receiver? Uh, he's, he's a tight end. He's a complete tight end. There is uh, tough, can run routes, has great run after catch, can run short routes, intermediate routes, vertical routes. You know, he's a fun guy to watch when you're not getting ready to play. <laughs> yeah. The following weeks will be uh, fun yeah, to watch. Yeah, he's but, something else. Coach, we appreciate a couple minutes. Thanks, Best of luck. We thank Bob Papa and Brian Dable. We thank Jalen Hyatt. We thank Cam Inman and Lance Meadow as well. As we get ready for the Giants and 49ers, really good stuff uh, throughout the show from all of those gentlemen. Thanks for being with us in the Giants Little Podcast. Don't forget, uh, you'll find another great preview of this game on the Giants Hangout. Jonathan Casillas, Brandon London, Madeline Burke kind of talk about the game in our brand new podcast. So go check it out on your favorite podcast platform. Search for Giants Hangout or go to the Giants app or Giants.com slash podcast to check out all of our podcast offerings. For the guys, I am John Schmelk. We'll see you next time on the Giants Little Podcast.